Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today we are going to talk all about the acute care side of physical therapy. And to help me through that and through our discussion of acute care, I'm happy to have on the show Kyle Ridgway. He graduated from Pomona College with a degree in neuroscience and the University of Arizona Medical Campus with a Doctor of Physical Therapy degree. For three years, he practiced part-time in a private outpatient clinic specializing in adolescent athletes, post-surgical rehab, and also at the University of Colorado Hospital rotating through all units. He now practices full-time at the University of Colorado Hospital, spending the majority of his time in the medical and cardiac ICUs as well as step-down units. He also treats within the confines of a randomized clinical trial investigating early intensive physical therapy in individuals requiring greater than four days of mechanical ventilation and assists with outcomes and quality improvement projects within the rehab department. He blogs at PT Think Tank and is active on social media and Twitter. And for those of you listening probably know his handle, but his handle is at Dr. Underscore Ridge Underscore DPT. He enjoys debating and discussing various practice and scientific issues. So Kyle, welcome to the show. So happy to have you on. Thank you, Karen. I'm really happy to be here. And Great. just one one quick correct correction. Yes. I graduated from University of Colorado on Chutes Medical Campus, but so, that's okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. Happens okay. all the time. Okay. So um, today we're talking all about uh, acute care physical therapy. So let's start out with something, a simple question. What is acute care physical therapy? So can you explain that to the listeners? Absolutely. So I think that's sometimes a misunderstood thing when it's conceptualized for us. Acute care physical therapy is going to refer to physical therapy that's done in an acute care hospital or acute care setting. Um, so what most people will be familiar with is a, just a normal acute care hospital. And this is where people will either be directly admitted from like an emergency department or from some outpatient clinic to receive what should be short-term treatment. Um, and it's usually going to be for a severe injury or acute illness. Um, so examples of things that people know, um, reasons why people go to acute care hospitals is traumas, um, orthopedic surgeries, um, bigger heart surgeries, mm -hmm. uh, and then sometimes acute flares or acute um, uh, decompensations of chronic illnesses like heart failure, diabetes, kidney failure, things like this. Right. And so when, when you're talking about acute care physical therapy, what is the value of the physical therapy care within the acute care setting? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think acute care therapists serve a unique role within the hospital that's probably more well understood or conceptualized by people who work in the hospital than people looking onto the hospital um, because of the fast pace of the environment and many times the complexity of the patients in the hospital, a lot of the value actually lies in prognosticating what this person needs in the future. In other words, it may not actually be your intervention that brings the most value to the patient, but prognosticating and figuring out where do they go from here? Is it home with some more support? Is it home with more therapy? Is it a subacute versus an acute rehab setting? Or do they need some outpatient therapy? And these are decisions that, in conjunction with other team members, really lies at the feet of the physical therapist 
to really make uh, kind of robust decisions based on a lot of different data. And, you know, acute care setting, I feel like in the physical therapy world, we hear a lot about outpatient settings. We hear a lot about sports PT, outpatient PT, orthopedic PT. So in your case, why do you work in acute care? Why did you choose this as sort of the place for you to, to, uh, to rest? That's a great question. I actually, um, I was passionate about physical therapy before I went to physical therapy school because of my background in sports and having an injury myself and having to actually do outpatient physical therapy. And I was dead set on doing ortho and sports and owning my own practice mm-hmm. and when I got into PT school, I was actually um, grossly afraid of hospitals. Didn't want to step foot in one, never wanted to be in one, never wanted to treat a patient in one. <laughs> and um, as I went through the curriculum in PT school, it seemed like every topic that came up sparked my interest more and more for every setting. And then luckily at our school, we were required to do a field work, kind of a once a week more shadowing and uh, applying our didactic classes to the clinic. Um, and one of the settings had to be an inpatient setting. And um, I spent five, five days, I think, five days once a week at a, um, at a level one trauma center here in Denver. And I remember thinking to myself, walking out of the hospital the second week, I was, I was like, wait, I'm not supposed to like this. I, I don't like, I'm not supposed to like this. And it was something about the pace and... Um, just the the patient interaction that you got and kind of the uniqueness of what the therapist can bring to the acute care setting that really kind of excited me. And then once I got more exposed to it, I really liked the team atmosphere of what has to happen in order to care for these patients in a hospital. Um, And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do a research rotation where I spent half my time with one of my professors who at the time was um, completing a pilot project on early intensive physical therapy for individuals requiring mechanical ventilation. Uh, And then I was in an LTAC, a long-term acute care hospital, Mm -hmm. uh, which technically would be deemed acute care, but the average length of stay in an LTAC is 25 to 30 days. So these are people who have um, acute illnesses or medical problems that are going to need longer-term care mm-hmm. but wouldn't be able to go to another setting like a subacute rehab or something like this. Um, so just as an example, a patient that you might see at a long-term acute care hospital would be someone who had like prolonged respiratory failure. And so maybe they were continuing to need um, ventilator support or they had a fresh tracheostomy um, And so sometimes that would be in conjunction with other diagnoses like a stroke or a trauma. But in any case, seeing the profound disability and rehab needs in that acute care setting really kind of stirred my passion for the need for high-level physical therapist involvement at the very front end of care. Um, And I really grew a passion doing being able to participate in some research with folks who are critically ill in the intensive care unit and require mechanical ventilation. Great. And uh, so my p- professional path kind of took a took a, a right hand turn, so to uh-huh. speak. Yeah, you sort of ended up probably not where you thought you would be. The exact when you gradu- opposite. When, when you graduated from PT school. Um, so now let's talk about being a PT in acute care. So I'm going to sort of say something that I don't believe in, that I don't believe, but that a lot of people, I think it's a, 
something that maybe students might believe, the nurses, maybe even some of the physicians, hopefully not. But when you talk about acute care PT, aren't the PTs there just to walk patients, just to like get them up out of bed, walk them around, then put them back in bed, and then you move on to the next person? So how do you respond to that? Because I'm sure you hear it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, that is a question that I field, I would say, on a regular basis, both within our profession um, and from other professionals, both within and outside the hospital. And I think if you talk to anyone who's been doing acute care physical therapy for any length of time and is very passionate about it, this is a question that we're used to answering. Mm -hmm. And I think the hard thing when you look at acute care physical therapy is, observationally, it can appear extremely procedurally simple. If you observed me with some patients, say, my goodness, this is so easy. You just, you go in there, you're nice to them, you interact with them, you have this good therapeutic alliance, you get them up, you walk them, this is, this is nothing. But what appears procedurally simple can actually be very, very complex when it comes to the knowledge and reasoning involved at different decision points, as well as the monitoring that has to happen when you're treating a patient. And so a nice kind of overarching construct in acute care physical therapy um, is the concept of response-dependent progression. Okay. Or you could even call it response-dependent regression. Okay. And so what this is, is the integration of a lot of physiologic and patient-specific data from moment to moment to moment to help you make the decision of whether you're going to do more, do less, or pause. Um, and the thing about acute care, especially in the changing healthcare environment, is people are coming in sicker and they're leaving quicker. Mm. So... An older, older model of a physical therapist in an acute care hospital would be a PT in the gym, the patient's stable enough to come down to the gym and work with the therapist. Mm -hmm. Almost all physical therapy is delivered at the bedside now in an acute okay. care hospital. And these are patients who, if you just think about the normal complications of a hospital course, are at a very high risk to medically destabilize at pretty much any moment. Mm -hmm. And so... Where the skill comes in is not necessarily your intervention, which can be very complicated, but the knowledge, reasoning, and monitoring it takes to know the appropriate intensity, the appropriate mechanics, the appropriate words, the appropriate communication, and the appropriate dose to give some of these folks. But then to be able to step out of the room and communicate with all other members of the team, not just what you have done, but kind of what would be an overall movement, exercise, and mobility plan for this patient now over the next couple of days while they're in the hospital and upon discharge from the hospital. And so that's where a lot of the skill set lies. Excuse and, me. Sure. And what is the average stay for an so acute that's, care patient? And again, I realize that's very difficult because you may have someone who came in for open heart surgery right. or someone who came in for, I don't know, uh, a hip fracture or, you know, every, it obviously varies according to diagnosis. But what, what is the average, what are the average stays that you're seeing? Um, I think on the whole, the average length of stay at University of Colorado Hospital has creeped up a little bit over the past couple of years, but it's somewhere between three and four and a half days. Okay. Um, 
Now, of course, we have people that are there for months, and we have people that are there for less than one day. Sure. But the sure. average length of stay, if you look kind of generally at the hospital population, is kind of going to weigh somewhere between the three and five day range. And okay. that's pretty consistent across acute care hospitals. So not a lot of time. So how do you, you know, let's say you're going in to see a patient daily, knowing that they're only going to be there for, let's say, four days, mm-hmm. like four and a half days. How do you, how are you able to relate to that patient almost instantaneously? Because that's a skill to be able to go in, talk to a patient, relate to them, kind of have them on board with what you would like to do with them from a rehab standpoint. So how do you create that rapport with the patient almost immediately? And what advice would you give to therapists on developing that rapport? Because you only have a short amount of time. You know, an outpatient... Maybe the first time you see them, oh, okay, you know, you have a little bit of a rapport, but that can grow over weeks and months. And if you only have four days and you want this person to kind of be on your side, what do you do to, uh, to, get, to get there? Yeah, I think that's one of, the, one of the, not biggest, but it's definitely a big challenge in acute care physical therapy is you can have these grand plans of what could be good for someone, mm-hmm. but... At the end of the day, I don't like to get out of bed when I'm sick. Right. Let alone when I'm in a hospital. I've got all this crazy stuff going on. I've got physicians coming in and out, nurses coming in and out. I'm already overwhelmed. Yeah. And I think the first thing whenever you walk into a room is you've got to peel back all the layers of everything that's going on and you've got to get right to the person. And so the thing that I pretty much do without fail as my kind of lead into a session is I have hand sanitizer on my hand and I go and I give someone a handshake without a pair of gloves on. Mm. And then I make, usually make a joke about my hand sanitizer. The next thing that I do is I introduce myself and I say nothing about what we're going to do. And I just ask the patient some simple question about their case or where they're from or even not necessarily how you're doing because I think that's a question that... Um, People may feel pressure to answer in a certain way. And I might just say, how's your pain today? Or some question that allows them a space to actually be able to interact with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Because acute care is in a very fast-paced environment, and it's very easy to get caught up in that fast-paced environment of what you have to do and what you have to get done. And so the first thing I want to communicate both explicitly and implicitly to the patient is, I'm here to listen to you. And so then I usually try to see kind of where they're at. And I usually know this before I go in from the nurse as far as pain, Mm -hmm. cognitive status. How are they coping with their whole admission? Mm -hmm. And then I usually try to frame things in a context of why we're doing it, but in a way that's not threatening. So even if I know someone's going to walk or I want them to ambulate, I may not even bring that up. They say, well, you know, I don't feel good. I'm dizzy. I've been nauseous all day. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep last night. They came in at 5 in the morning to take my blood sugar and made me get on the scale so they could titrate my meds. I don't know when I'm going home. I'm, I, my rent is past due. I can't pay all my bills right now. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're stressed out. Mm-hmm. And what's great about therapists is we're used to explaining symptoms and we're used to interacting with symptoms that may not be uh, life-threatening. And so what I can say to them is, hey... We've done these tests or these symptoms are okay, and I can actually explain to them what's normal and what's not. 
to help them say, hey, I know you feel like crud, mm -hmm. but it's safe to move around, and I'd like you to just sit up, and I want to take your vital signs. And that's usually what I always say is, I'm going to have you sit up here. I want to see how your vital signs do while we move around. It's one of the most important things we do here in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then depending on where they are, you just like anyone else, you titrate your education to them to try to get what's important to them tied into what you know is important for while they're in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And while they're in the hospital, literally the best thing that we can do is keep people moving. Doesn't matter what population you're talking about. Doesn't matter how long they're going to be in the hospital. Early and often and safe with mobility is the best thing that we can do to prevent complications for someone who's in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I use some of that information to hopefully try to get them to understand where I'm coming from and buy into the plan of, you know what, this isn't just an necessarily an optional thing, but this is a part of your whole treatment plan. This is your movement medicine, mm -hmm. and this is very important. Yeah, yeah, great answer. Because um, yeah, I know it's like I, I used to work in acute care, and sometimes you would walk into a room and the person's cranky, they're yelling at you, they don't want Absolutely. you to be there, you don't, and you know, sometimes you leave kind of flustered and you didn't get anything done. Yep. Um, and I, I feel like had I had the answer that you just gave when I was first starting out when I was 22, it would have been a lot easier to meet that person where they're at versus and I think that's, just kind of throwing your hands up and saying, going out to the nurse and saying, this person's cranky, they're, they're belligerent, they don't want to do, they're stubborn and walking away. And I think that's the great insight is acute care really illustrates to you that you have to meet that person where they are. Mm -hmm. And I think you've got to temper your expectations a little bit because in acute care generally, but even every treatment session, anything could happen at any time. Mm -hmm. I mean, patients will surprise you on both ends of the spectrum as far as what they can do and when they crash on you. Mm -hmm. And I think coming in and knowing that, hey, anything that I can do is of benefit let's just take this one step at a time is the way to do it. Because you can get overwhelmed with the planning. What do I need to test? Where are they going to go after this? All this other stuff can really sure. cloud your ability to just say, hey, how would I want someone to interact with me if I wasn't feeling so good? Exactly. So instead of going down your sort of checklist and checking off everything that you feel needs to happen with the patient, you kind of go in with that in mind, meet the patient, and kind of see where you can go. Absolutely. Right. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if we're working in neuro rehab, outpatient orthopedics, pain, or acute care. As we study the therapist-patient interaction more, we're understanding that therapeutic alliance is highly valuable mm -hmm. as far as how where patients end up, what happens with them. Sure. And so we should work very hard to actually um, to actually improve that skill and actually make it a part of our intervention cognitively in our head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Part of what I need to I do agree. this session is get the alliance of this patient. I agree. And now, you know, you had mentioned something uh, earlier when you talked about uh, when you first started doing uh, rotations and working in the ICU. So now another, again, sort of I'm going to place, you know, the person who maybe doesn't really realize what PT is. But when you're looking at physical therapy in the ICU, is it just range of motion? Because yeah, if, if, the person's, if the person's not uh, awake, if the person is not communicative, um, what are you doing besides going in and just moving their limbs around? So how does right. PT affect people in the ICU? 
That's a great question. I think the the first thing to understand for any of the listeners who don't know uh, what an ICU or an intensive care unit is, is there's various different types of intensive care units, medical ICUs, surgical ICUs, cardiothoracic, cardiac, trauma, burn. Um, and so ICUs are broad just like um, any hospital different hospital units can be very mm-hmm. broad. But basically, someone is going to be an intensive care unit because one or more of their body systems has failed, is failing, or they need close enough monitoring because of their clinical condition or medications that they need that high level of care. Mm-hmm. So in our healthcare system, the ICU is what would be termed the highest level of care in the healthcare system. Okay. So these are technically the sickest of the sick within any hospital setting. And um, one of the misnomers is that, well, you just go in there and just do some range of motion and make sure they don't get contractures and, and bed sores and, mm-hmm. you know, just move on to the next patient. Right. And again, that conceptualization is very similar to acute care in general of just walking people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've found over time is that these people, especially who come into the medical ICU and have acute respiratory distress syndrome or need to be on a breathing machine, need to be mechanically ventilated, when they leave the hospital, they leave with profound physical therapy problems, profound rehab problems. So someone comes in with bad lungs, and then maybe they get kidney failure. Maybe they have some multi-system organ failure. If you look at them six months or a year after their hospital discharge, their lung abnormalities are fairly mild and fairly stable. Mm. But their six-minute walks, their health quality of life, um, is remarkably decreased compared to age match norms and is improving not very fast. Number two, what they report at one and five years after ICU discharge, so five years after being out to the hospital, is mm-hmm. weakness and inability to return to work, PTSD, and depression. And so what we've found over time is that these people come in with an acute medical problem And as the medical system has got better at saving people's lives, they actually leave with a humongous disability of all their body systems. Contractures, neuromuscular weakness, sometimes in the form of myopathy and neuropathy that can persist for five to six years after Mm -hmm. discharge, Mm -hmm. neurocognitive deficits. So people said, well, what do we do? What can we do for these people? I mean, can we move them around? I mean, That was my question. What do you do to help this? Some of these people are on breathing machines. Some of them are on continuous dialysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on different life support. How, I mean, is it even safe to move someone like this around? Yeah. And what the data has kind of shown over the past 10 to 15 years is that not only is it safe and feasible, but the data suggests that it, you know, they can decrease the ICU length of stay and decrease the overall hospital length of stay by getting in there and actually mobilizing these patients sooner. And in one of the more famous randomized control trials, the average length of time from the time someone got admitted to the ICU and intubated, put Mm -hmm. on a breathing machine, Mm -hmm. to their first physical therapy session was about 36 hours. (coughs) In other words, on average, the therapist was able to get there into the ICU and start Mm -hmm. treating these patients within two days. And if we look at the plausibility of these interventions or why would we remove sick people is right. we know 
that from pretty much all of your body systems, the recumbent position is the worst position we can be in. Supine in bed is bad for every single one of your body systems. Mm -hmm. It's bad for your skin. It's bad for your lungs because of the way that your blood flow goes to your lungs. You get higher VQ mismatch. Your posterior lobes, your lungs are not able to expand as mm -hmm. much. We know people in the ICU are at risk for delirium. We know the more we move people, the less delirious they are. Mm -hmm. And we know that they're at significant risk for horrendous neuromuscular weakness. And so the approach is the exact same as on the floor. It's a response-dependent progression. Um, the other thing that people have found over time is we can actually sedate these people a lot less. We can have people awake and on life support. We can have people awake and on ventilators. Mm -hmm. And so practice in sedation has changed a lot over the past five to ten years where we used to say, oh my goodness, that person's in the ICU. Let's knock them out. Mm -hmm. Let's just get them on propofol. Let's put them to sleep. Now, for the sickest of the sick, you absolutely have to do that. Mm -hmm. But that is not standard of practice. And so pairing our interventions and what we know about movement and physiology with the expertise of physicians and nurses, critical care culture has kind of changed to where mobility has become a focus. And so the physical therapist serves a unique role, especially the physical therapist who is trained in this, because this mm -hmm. is someone, in order to step into the ICU, you need to know what you're doing in there. Mm -hmm to actually help manage and treat these patients, not just procedurally as interventionalists, but also to help manage a, a unit and make recommendations on who should move and who shouldn't, how much they should, helping train nurses on how to move some of these critically ill patients because it can be a big culture change. Sure. When you walk up to a nurse and say, hey, I know Mrs. Smith is on, is on a ventilator and I can see she's got her continuous dialysis running through her neck there and She's also got an arterial line in her growing, but I think we're going to go ahead and stand her up today and maybe get her over to a chair. What do you think about that? I mean... No, and, and so my question is, is, you know, if you're in the ICU and let's say family members are there, so let's say the patient's a little, you know, they're a little out of it, they're a little, you know, groggy, they're maybe not making a whole heck of a lot of sense, and... And the family members are there, and you say this to the nurse, you say this to the family members, and they freak out. There's no, you know, how could you do this? There's no way this is going to happen. How do you respond to something like that? Do you, or do you not go ahead with that, that plan of care? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the first caveat that always has to be given in this scenario is... Um, Treatment in a hospital is always a team-based approach, but even more so in the ICU. Mm -hmm. And so um, the one thing that I always want to illustrate to listeners or people when I'm talking about this is I'm not army crawling into the ICU <laughs> underneath the curtain and then popping up in a patient's room doing whatever. Uh -huh. uh -huh. There's always a conversation going on with the bedside nurse, sometimes the charge nurse, sometimes mm -hmm. physicians or residents about what I'm seeing and why. And they are giving me information. I'm giving them information. But... At the end of the day, if you are trained in this area of practice and have a skill set and expertise, then it's always a conversation. And it's just like if you were interacting with a patient. What I'm trying to identify from the nurse's standpoint is what is she worried about and what does she think that I'm going to do? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because many nurses, when they think physical therapy, they think walking. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way this patient can walk. Yeah. And so usually the way that I get with the nurses is I – 
am going to have a very, hopefully a very high level understanding of this patient's case and be able to talk about it. Hey, I see Mrs. Mrs. Smith has been a, had an FiO2, a fraction of inspired oxygen of 50% over the past couple hours. Are they planning on weaning her today? What's the game plan? So that she knows that I'm not coming in blind. And then what I usually say, if someone's really putting up a big no sign, I say, hey, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to assess this patient in supine first. And why don't you come on in and I'll explain to you what I'm doing. And I bring the nurse in with me. Uh-huh. And I explain to her everything that I'm looking at. I do a supine assessment of the patient's cognition right off the bat. Maybe some of their range of motion, maybe their neurologic status, maybe some strength testing. And if everything looks good, I say, well, why don't we roll them over? Change these sheets out, maybe. Mm. Roll them over, everything looks good. Hey, I'd like to dangle this person. Sit them up on the side of the bed. Would you help me do that real quick? Talk her through what I'm looking at. Talk her through the vital signs. Um, I would say, actually, it's very rare that I get a big stop sign from the families. Um, and one of the things that's actually been found is that families of ICU survivors have a huge burden when the family member is discharged from the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, they have complicated grief. They're overwhelmed and stressed by this whole thing. And they many times do see the value in it, but I do the same thing. I just explain what we're doing. And the thing that I like to say is you're in the safest place in the world to move around. That's true. I, I get to monitor every single one of your vital signs that I want. I know what your lab values are. Even if I didn't know what I'm doing, guess what? We've got critical care specialist nurses here. Mm-hmm. We've got pulmonary and critical care physicians right outside the door. So this is the best place that you can be to move around. It's the safest place. Um, and I just explain what the reasoning is and why why this is a part of their um, a part of their treatment. Um, but you know, sometimes, honestly, I I get a consult and I do an eval, and it the person is is totally sedated, totally out of it. They don't withdraw to noxious stimuli. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't respond to verbal or physical stimuli. So all I can really do is check their range of motion and check their vitals and that. Mm-hmm. But that's actually very, very good data. Hey, this sure. person's not ready to mobilize, but here's why. And here's what my neuro exam shows. Just like you would do on someone who had a really dense TBI or a really mm-hmm. bad stroke. <clears throat> and so there is some value in that over time. Um, and the earlier we get our heads in the door to at least assess someone, mm-hmm. the earlier the potential is to actually capture some mobility. And it's just, it's just like physics. It's inertia. As soon as we can get that ball rolling, a body in re- at motion will stay in mm-hmm. motion. Yeah. And even doing that one day earlier is very important. So Great. it's complicated. It is. But really yeah. it's, it's quite simple at its core. Yeah. Well, now, you know, talking about acute care as far as the, within the profession of physical therapy, um, how can acute care assist in transforming the profession into a direct access point? So how can it support direct access? And for those people listening that don't know what direct access is, you hear it a lot in the outpatient setting. Direct access is the patient has the ability to go to a physical therapist without seeing the physician first. And it varies from state to state. I don't think all 50 states do not have direct access yet. I think Texas still does not. Am I right in that? I think I'm right in that, right? Yeah, the ABCA will will quote a number of states that have direct access, but you also need to look at the specifics of what that direct access entails. And many states have a 
a limited or restricted direct a, access. A bit of a caveat to direct access. New yeah. York is one of them. So yeah. in the state of New York, there is quote unquote direct access. That being said, the insurance company probably won't pay unless you have a doctor's prescription. Yeah. Kind of defeats the purpose of direct access unless you're paying out of pocket and you don't care. Yeah. And you can see the patient, I believe it's 10 visits or six weeks, after which time they need a physician's uh, prescription. Now, I think in, in Washington State, or no, Oregon, I think, just passed full direct access. I in believe. Colorado, we, we, um, we have full direct access Full direct as well. access. Cool. Um, so when you talk about acute care physical therapy, it's kind of a place where you don't really think about direct access. Absolutely. So how can that branch of physical therapy assist in direct access care for all? Yeah, I think if we look at um, direct access generally from the profession standpoint as well as what it takes to train our students to be direct access providers, mm -hmm. if you're in the healthcare setting, one of the strengths that you have is you're trained in a team-based setting at accredited universities where you're supposed to understand and know your limitations. That's the mark of a healthcare mm. professional versus a complementary and alternative medis medical professional. Um, right. And I use that term very loosely. I don't like the word CAM um, right. or fitness person. Mm -hmm. And what the hospital setting or the acute care setting gives you is the ability to actually see the healthcare system at work, number one. right? You're interacting with other professionals and learning mm -hmm. the communication that it takes to communicate your point of view within the context of the entire healthcare's point of view. But number two, you're getting the exposure to truly quote unquote sick people. These are people that the medical system was invented for. Sure. People who have DVTs, people who have had or are having heart attacks, mm -hmm. people who have blood pressure issues, people who have chronic medical conditions. Mm -hmm. That exposure, when you talk about medical screening and differential diagnosis on the outpatient or other setting side, is really invaluable. And this is how physicians obtain their expertise. And it's not just didactic, right? It's hours, of upon, yeah. hours upon hours of seeing really, really sick people. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we look at it from a knowledge and exposure standpoint, it really makes sense if we want to be a direct access point into healthcare that we should kind of see what the really sickest folks in healthcare look like mm -hmm. and give our students that experience. Because nothing will help you remember how to screen a DVT than catching a DVT in someone who's sick and seeing what it exactly. looks like. Exactly, exactly. Knowing how that's medically managed. But then also knowing how do you fit as a physical therapist within this healthcare wheel and identifying areas of value. Um, but I think the other issue is, is that some of the things that people do really well in acute care are behaviors that absolutely must be implemented across settings. And this, I think, is a profound thing to think of. Is there any place where you enter the healthcare system where the first thing that is not done is a medical history and your vital signs? Hopefully, no. There should be, there's no place in the healthcare <laughs> yeah. system where that happens. Yeah. Except for an outpatient physical therapy clinic. Mm. We still have practitioners who either don't understand the necessity of taking a baseline vital signs mm -hmm. um, or just don't do it routinely. Mm -hmm. And that's not to call out our outpatient orthopedic colleagues, but it's just to say, huh, we need to understand what access into the healthcare system looks like and what it's for so that we can 
better be an access point for people and help mm -hmm. steer them in the right direction. And I think the communication skills, the exposure to sick patients, the exposure to other professionals, and kind of some of the behaviors that you have to uh, engage in and yeah. do and really enough. set you up yeah. to be a better direct access provider. Mm. Whereas some people would say, well, you're in the hospital, you've got all this support. That doesn't really support direct access. The thing is, from a global profession standpoint, that's where we can really win over some advocates. Mm -hmm. There yeah. is the critical care physicians who are into early mobility and physical therapy. I have never seen a more passionate group of physicians say on a regular basis, we need more physical therapists and we need to pay them more. Mm. And they will say it all the time mm -hmm. because they get to see this value not just in patient outcomes, but in the interactions that happen every single day. Sure. And we can use some of these connections we make in the hospitals so that we can form partnerships within healthcare to help us achieve direct access. Because yeah. let's be honest, going into a pissing match with the AMA, you're going to lose that battle every single oh, time. Oh, they're too strong, yeah. We don't of have course. the money, we don't have the resources the state yeah. in yeah. the legislative realm to be able to take them on, even sure. if our argument is sound. Sure. Sure. And so we need to show them where we're different, but also where we can do some of these things safe and feasibly. Mm -hmm. And if I was to go to tell a critical care physician, hey, you let me come in and evaluate your critically ill patients every single day, do you think you'd be okay if Joe Public went and saw a physical therapist if they had low back pain? Mm -hmm. They would laugh. Yeah, absolutely. They'd have no problem with it. The same right. is true. Another big physician group that could really be huge supporters to us is emergency room physicians. This is a growing practice area mm -hmm. and they understand the value of the physical therapist to assist in differential diagnosis. Sure. And they really, the ones that practice full-time in EDs are, are really utilizing physical therapists at a yeah. high level to assist with imaging decisions and diagnostic decisions. And same thing, if you ask them, hey, do you think someone with knee pain got hit in the knee should be able to see a physical therapist direct access? Without sure. a blink, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so we need to form those partnerships within the hospital. Um, so my personal belief is that every student should have some type of acute care exposure, even if it's only a once a week, even if it's a rotation. Um, I think that should be a must. And Granted, there's a problem in clinical ed right now that we don't have enough quality sites. We don't know what to do with the model. Should it be two months? Should it be three months? Should it be a year-long internship? But physicians and PAs do this while they're in schools. Physicians do four-week rotations, and they mm -hmm. see every setting of mm -hmm. medicine. Not every setting, but major settings of medicine. Sure. PAs do this, too. They rotate through hospitals, psych, all these things. So I think if they can do it, we can say, you know what, you have to have an acute care experience. Yeah, and you know, that was sort of my next question is, you know, should, should students be required? And I feel like when I was in PT school, we had to do an acute care rotation. Like that was, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You had to do some sort of an, an acute care inpatient uh, rotation. Um, but now what, let's say coming from, and I know that you have, sort of been a CI to some to students. So from a clinical instructor's viewpoint, why, and I know, why is it important for that student to sort of rotate through acute care? And I know you're no, obviously no longer, we're no longer students, but if we were to put ourselves into that student position, why is it important from a student standpoint? So basically, yeah. the question is, is 
What are they going to learn? What's the point? If I want to do outpatient, what's the point? Yeah. And, you know, what I talk to people who want to do outpatient all the time is you want to have direct access, which means you want to be able to screen out medical conditions. Mm-hmm. Well, here you're going to be able to see a whole bunch of medical conditions. That's so at the, at, the, at the very least, if that's your only goal, look at this as I, at least I get exposure to medical conditions mm-hmm. as well as the medical system and how those people, how the medical treatment kind of looks. Right? So you don't have to be an expert in the medical treatment of all these conditions you see. That would make you a physician. Right. But you have to understand it. Right? I need to understand that when someone comes in with a COPD exacerbation, what does kind of the general medical flow look like for that mm-hmm. population? Mm-hmm. And understanding how that medical system works, I think, helps you better at engaging with it from other settings. So if you're a student or a practitioner who wants to work an outpatient, if you can see the globally how the system works, you're going to be better, um, better prepared to interface with it in a way that's highly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, without that, you know, we kind of get into our little physical therapy bubble. We get our, our, our blinders on mm-hmm. and what we can do and the value we can bring to healthcare. And sometimes we can lose sight of the bigger picture. And that's where we can always have a lot of, or where we can have a lot of impact from a health services standpoint. And so understanding the system helps us be able to find those areas that we can do that. Sure. And I and think, number two, the ability to walk into a sick person's room and evaluate them and see acute medical changes in someone helps with your medical screening ability. Helps when that person comes in and you say, something's not right here. Something, yeah. What exactly. should I check? And how do I communicate this? Mm-hmm. And that's hard because that's not always a hard data-driven decision, right? <clears throat> Mrs. Jones looks off. Well, what can I do to start assessing that? Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing when someone's in your outpatient clinic and, you know what, this leg just doesn't look right. Well, yeah. what, can I, what, do, what do I do to screen for a DVT? What's, what tools do I have at my disposal? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And having knowledge and experience in acute medical conditions is absolutely going to help with how do I triage this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that's what a direct access provider needs to be able to do in the healthcare system. They need to appropriately triage a patient in front of them. And if they don't know what it is, get them to the most appropriate level of care as quickly as possible and be able to make that decision on a, on a routine basis right. fairly and, accurately. And in other quick, words, not send, not send everyone to the ER right. and not be missing all these medical deci- things that need to be sent onward. Sure. And, of course, our, our students are getting that didactic knowledge in their coursework. They have to be getting that. But I think that an acute care experience makes that didactic knowledge a little more robust, a little more real, and really does help us as we interface with the healthcare system sure. and try to advocate for direct access. Sure. So, you know, doing that, being in the acute care setting sort of helps you to see the healthcare working. As a, as a whole versus just one cog within that within that system, and if I think if you can understand that from an acute care standpoint, boy, you can definitely understand it from an outpatient, orthopedic, sports, whatever, dance standpoint, because you're looking at not just here comes in an ankle sprain, but you're looking at the person as a whole versus just that one little part of the person. Absolutely. And that's, you know, and that's what we should do. And the longer I practice in acute care, 
the more passionate I become about what I know from a physical therapy standpoint. Mm -hmm. And you start to learn more and more and more what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. That's very every true. Sing every single day being in the hospital helps me realize, you know what? I don't know anything. I don't know that. And boy, but is, is, is not the I most... know this physical therapy stuff, Yeah, you know, and it makes you kind of a little more confident in our profession skill set specifically, mm -hmm. but it also makes you realize, holy cow, there's all this other stuff going on out here that exactly. I know nothing about. Exactly. And, and isn't the most dangerous practitioner the one that thinks they know everything? Yep. Oh, yeah. That's, that's not the person you want to be going to. Nope, that's, that's not the doctor you want to go to. That's not the PT you want to go to. You want to go to the person, and, and you mentioned this um, in talking about how, you know, uh, acute care can help with direct access is, is really knowing what you know, but more importantly, knowing what you don't know and knowing when to refer on to someone else. And if you, yeah. can, if you can grasp those skills in an acute care setting, I agree with you, you're you, so you're really setting yourself up for, for some, um, some great experience down the road in whatever course you take. And, if it, and this is what I tell students too. If the only thing that you get out of this experience is you understand the interpretation of vital signs, we've done our job. Yeah. Because yeah. that is a vitally important thing that is hard to teach without getting someone in there and mm -hmm. seeing someone tank their vital signs or have an abnormal vital signs response. Right. right. And that's, uh, that's one of the most important things we do in acute care. We move people around and take their vital signs. Yeah. And that in and of itself has humongous value. Huge value. And, you know, anyone can read it in a book and you can learn it in class and you can take your, your friend's blood pressure next to you in PT school. But until you see that actually happen in a very sick patient or in that hospital setting, you will never forget it. Like there are things when I worked in the hospital, I will never forget for the rest of my life. That's true. You know, like when you find, a, like you said, you know, being able to sort of accurately diagnose a DVT. That happened to me once in the hospital setting and I have never, ever forgotten when that, that incident and how it happened. Of course, I read it in a book, but when you see it, boy, is that it is something. Yeah, it, it absolutely. Is, it is something. It's a totally different experience, and and it's something that I've been able to carry over into my outpatient and now even into home practice. So I agree a hundred percent. So now we have a couple minutes left here. So out of out of the talk today, what is what are some key points that you really want people to take? What is what's your take home message? I mean, I think the, care? I think the big thing with acute care is that it's an opportunity for PTs to assume a different role. So you can be something as we grow forward, especially beyond just an interventionist. There's a lot of opportunity within the healthcare system at the hospital level for PTs to take on new and different roles where case management, unit management of mobility, different programs and things like that. Um, number two is that the knowledge and skill that it takes to do some of these seemingly very simple things like walk somebody can be exceedingly challenging. I mean, you're talking about the interpretation of multiple physiologic data points in conjunction with someone's performance, in conjunction with the real-time response of their vital signs, and you're having to not only interpret all of that in real time, but integrate it and prioritize it, mm -hmm. and then make a decision. Um, 
And that environment breeds a high level of critical thinking when it's done correctly that I think can translate to a lot of different settings. Um, number three, I think it's an opportunity for PTs to save the healthcare system tons of money and improve patient outcomes with regards to a beyond-function approach where we're not just looking at what we can do for the patient functionally. We're talking about things that are beyond the realm of function like prevention of cardiovascular complications, prevention of functional decline, discharging someone sooner, getting them to the right level of care, preventing readmissions. These are all very real yeah. things yeah. that PTs can be huge in. And as payment changes for hospitals, the incentives for what the hospitals track and what they want to do will be much different. Right now, the incentive is get them out as soon as you can. Yeah. And that's something PTs can help with. Sure. In the future, it's going to be readmissions. And that's something that PTs can absolutely help with. Right. And I believe that's even part of Obamacare. I mean, this is, that's for another conversation. But, you know, if the patient comes back within a certain amount of time, yep. I think the hospital can get fined because perhaps absolutely. their initial care was not correct. Yeah, for sp some so. specific um, high readmission diagnoses yeah. like heart failure, pneumonia, yeah, yeah, yeah. things like this. Uh, hospitals are going to start getting dinged if people get get readmitted. Right. And there's some data to suggest that if a PT's recommendation is not followed for discharge, that person has an increased odds ratio of being mm -hmm. readmitted to the hospital. Yeah. And that's important data to give to case managers and hospital sure. administrators. But there's a gold mine of research opportunity. There's a gold mine of program development. And the way that I look at it is you can be an entrepreneur within the hospital mm -hmm. and practice your skills of selling other people on programs and getting funding and different models without having to do it yourself yet or in a setting that's very team-based. And if that's something that interests people, it's not just walking. It's yes. much more than that. Yes, and I think that's a great way to end the interview. So thank you very much. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Find me on Twitter and just tweet at me. Direct message me on Twitter if you want. I'm always open to uh, take questions. I've also written about acute care a handful of times on PT Think Tank. Mm -hmm. um, so you can always go there and comment on those posts. But, yeah, just tweet at me and we'll talk about it. Okay. And, again, your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Dr. Underscore Ridge underscore DPT. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was great. Thank I really you. appreciate it. it. Anytime, and everyone, thanks for tuning in, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.